You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi folks, and welcome to episode 91 of the Let's Talk Apple podcast. This is the show for March 2021, even though my show notes say 2020. I, I, I always get that wrong every year. Anyway, I'm your host, Bart Bouchots. Um, I am joined by a panel which are both large in quality and large in number. For the first time in quite some time, we have a five-person panel. So in no particular order, we are joined for the first time in a while by Charles Edge from the Mac Admins podcast. Hi, Charles. Hey, how are you doing? I am doing well. It is uh, great to have you back on. Um, Thanks for having me. You're our only transatlantic representative uh, today. Um, so, oh. uh, wh- whereabouts on the continent of America are you? Uh, I am in Minneapolis right now, which is bright, sunny, and the snow just disappeared. I'm not sure how that happened. Oh, wait, the sun Sorry, came out. Okay. So, Those two might be yeah. connected. That's well. That's good. Good. Springtime is springing, which is great. Um, mm-hmm. Also with us, uh, Simon Parnell and uh, well, and, and Nick actually. These are both from the Essential Apple Podcast. But Simon first, hello, hello, welcome back. Always a pleasure when you can join us. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Indeed, and uh, Nick, you are also from the Essential Apple Podcast. Welcome back. Thank you very much, Bart. Good to be back. Yeah, always, as I say, always a pleasure to have you on. And then, for the first time in a while, we have Gazmaz from the MyMac podcast with us. Hi, Gaz. Hello, Bart. Yes, it's been some time. I've missed a, I've missed a few. So, uh, uh, yeah, just unavoidable um, other things happening and different timings. But that's how it goes. We're here now, so uh, we haven't fallen out. So that's good. Exactly. And uh, you guys are all <laughs> doing a great job representing the United Kingdom. So, uh... yes, perhaps a little too much. Well, it's a holiday weekend here, so we're, we're you can never sure. have too much of a good thing. <laughs> Ooh, I don't know where to begin on that one. <laughs> anyway, let us, let us begin with some follow up uh, on uh, some stories we talked about last time and uh, some long running stories. Uh, so, just a quick little update on matters COVID. Uh, Apple Maps are getting uh, COVID nineteen airport information for three hundred destinations around the world, and I imagine that will only grow. Um, so, I, you can, assuming Dublin Airport have signed up, you know that if you come to Ireland and you're from the wrong country, you have to quarantine for two weeks. That kind of thing, um, mask requirements, testing requirements, all those kind of things. So, you know, if you must venture into the world of travel, every little bit of information is helpful. So Apple are doing their bit there. Meanwhile, if you live in the United States, uh, Apple are also helping out a little bit more. Apple Maps now includes COVID vaccination locations to help you figure out where you can go get your, uh, I believe it's called a Fauci ouchie over there, which is a, a wonderful phrase. Um, and if you're an Apple employee, you may have the time off work to get your Fauci ouchie, which is nice. Less good news, France uh, is in serious lockdown again with another wave of infection, so all Apple stores in France are closed again. Um, Probably not really much more to say on that. Uh, I guess we're all happy that Apple are continuing to do their bit. Anything anyone feels particularly strongly needs to be added to that? Not really. I mean, I think it's it's good that Apple are paying people to take the time out because, you know, they have occasionally in the past been a bit 
stingy about their um, remunerations, shall we say. Well, that's more the retail workers where they made them take paid to, or take uh, yeah unpaid time to go search their bags because they don't trust them. I mean, that's a uh, yeah yes yeah. This is no, this is definitely better. Um, the other and by the way, that is a common practice in a lot of retail places that I've done work with. Random side note: wow. not being an Apple apologist, but. <laughs> <laughs> for it to be like unpaid, I mean, I can understand it, it being, you know, paid, but it's, a, it's actually normal for it to be unpaid time. I've seen twice now where they put the the loss prevention on the other side of a time clock type of apparatus. Um, and it's just which side of the door it's on, you know, or gate, according to how, how that works. Wow. Oh, jeez, that's... Somehow I don't think that would fly in Europe. I, I, I imagine the European Union's labour laws would not let that fly. But I could be wrong, so um, I best not speak about things I'm not sure of. I, it just surprises me. Anyway, the other long-running story that may soon, soon come to its end is the introduction of app tracking transparency. Apple announced it last summer, have delayed the release a few times. It's now in the betas for the next version of iOS, and I think Tim Cook has said it's coming in April, so this will soon be over. But for now, the lead-up continues. Um, we have some former Facebook employees who took the time to basically say what well, all of, you know, pretty much every guest on this show in the last couple of months has said that this whole Facebook thing of, oh, will you think of the small businesses? It's a horse poop. Um, and meanwhile, Zuckerberg has decided to do a 180. And uh, apparently now he's come to the sudden realization that actually iOS 14's privacy changes are going to be good for Facebook even though they were terrible for Facebook and small businesses, don't you know? But no, apparently they're a good thing now. It's, there you go. Any, anyone have any thoughts on that? His, by the way, his argument is that because you can't do third-party tracking, more people will use Facebook and do it as a first-party relationship. That's, that's his thinking. Mm. Mm. I'm somewhat dubious about the reason, but I, I guess there's some logic in it. If people trust Facebook more, they might be more inclined to uh, engage with Facebook. That said, you know, 553 million users might not be so happy about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. as I say, we shall see. I, you know, all of these predictions about the end of the world, I, I don't imagine those will come to pass. Uh, no, as as a developer, when you upload an IPA or when you upload an app to the App Store, it asks you to fill out some pretty complicated privacy information, and then they scan it to make sure that they're accurate with what you put in. But it's not like too much of this hasn't um, hasn't already been there in in some ways, shapes, or forms. You know, um, I, I think now it's just you're required to uh to go along to to be truthful you know yeah. i mean it's half technical half policy right i mean the technical aspect is they're controlling access to the idfa in the same way they control access to location data apis and stuff but it's also mm-hmm. the case that the, the rules say that if the user says no and you find a different means of tracking you're still breaking the rules and will get booted from the app store right yeah you and you know some I think previously, as long as you were honest about what you were doing, um, you you just had to include a link that went to your privacy statement. And so you you could say, hey, we're going to post all your data on a GitHub repo. And that would have been sufficient. 
you know. Yeah. Here's your notice that we're going to do something really terrible with your data. And I guess even with the privacy labels, it would just not be a very friendly label. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and in fact, sure. what you're saying here is actually very relevant to two others, uh, to some other stories, because Apple have actually warned developers that uh, don't go around skirting the changes we're making in iOS 14 because we will throw you from the App Store. That doesn't seem to have quite put Snapchat off, who are busy trying to find probabilistic approaches for doing cross-app <laughs> tracking, but they promise they'll stop when iOS 14.5 comes out. Uh, and meanwhile, Apple are actually blocking uh, one of the third-party APIs called Adjust SDK because it is, in fact, doing effectively fingerprinting to try track people across app without using the IDFA. So, you know, like you say, Charles, it, it, this is already happening. And I think actually for the first three to six months, there will be small grumblings of things happening and um, consequences that weren't thought about because that generally happens it just depends on how big those consequences are mm. um but it'll all settle down i think yeah uh yeah i think so i think so um and i know this wasn't actually last month but if you listen to the tim cook interview with um was it zara swisher on her sway mm. podcast that's an interesting listen uh where she I, I that today actually him. yeah um yeah yeah, he was actually, I mean, Cara's great because she just, she'll ask all the questions. I mean, and, and Tim, I guess Tim knows Cara long enough to know that she will ask him stuff he won't answer. And so he doesn't get cranky with her. But, you know, he just says, well, you know, I don't talk about future products. Because she actually asked him, are you working on a car? He was like, yeah. just laughed her and went, nope, I'm not telling you that. <laughs> <laughs> but he did talk, he did actually say in that interview that that ATT was coming out soon. So I hope he's, well, I presume he's right. He's 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 the boss man with the master switch. Uh, France threatened to throw a little spanner in the works. Um, the French Competition Authority had been asked to put a preliminary injunction against ATT in place uh, because French advertisers are claiming that app tracking transparency is anti-competitive. It, just, it blows my mind that we could be making an argument <laughs> against get, getting informed consent because somehow that's not competitive to, for people to know what's going on. But anyway, the French Competition Authority rejected that nonsense notion. Uh, so they are not putting an injunction in place. However, they are going ahead with an investigation into Apple because they think maybe Apple don't follow their own rules. Apple were quick to point out that the reason they don't, their apps don't say that they track people across apps is because their apps don't track people across apps, as opposed to because they don't follow their own rules. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, I mean it's hilarious. Like, but your 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 privacy labels don't say you track people. They say, yeah, yes. <laughs> I, I believe they've now um, launched a, a single hub, which tells you what, if any, day any Apple app tracks. You are indeed correct. That is down here as another quick follow-up story because the last month or the month before, Apple had promised they would and uh, Apple have followed through on that. So the, the oh, privacy actually. labels are all there. And, oh, look, they, they're not doing massive amounts of tracking. Who knew? <laughs> uh, oh, actually, here's another bit of good news to come out of this ATT thing. Uh, LinkedIn have stopped collecting tracking data before they would have been forced to um, ask for permission. So that's... Uh, Good, that's these things working as they should. Um, and I think that's everything I had on that section. Anything else anyone wants to say? Uh, Charles, as a developer, are you stressed about this or are you, you happy? 
No, if you uh, looked at my privacy statement, it would be I don't track anything ever. Um, none, none of the apps that I use are good enough to require tracking. I, you know, I, I think we're coming to a time in the not so distant future where we're going to have this really huge battle, and I think maybe the Zuckerberg versus Cook. Uh, in the beginning is kind of phase one of that, but there is telemetry that we need on devices. So I would say from the user experience, um, management side of things like we want to build better apps we want to know where people are tapping how long it takes them to find the things that they need things of that nature right, right. but it, that should be anonymous um and then in order to do so for certain cohorts uh you know, we need more and more information about those people, even if it's anonymous, right? Um, but then at the company side of things, most companies need a very deep amount of telemetry according to uh, to, to what they're what the devices are doing. So it's really easy to say, well, we don't want any privacy information leaking out until you realize that that person has credit card numbers, social security numbers and things of that nature. So, so you know. I guess if the, if the company is designed to help developers track, you know, where, where in the UI people are getting confused, where in the UI people are clicking well, if the, if the, if the providers of those APIs tweak them to the point where they have pre-made boilerplate that you can drop into your privacy statement and stuff, I, I guess that will sort these things out and hopefully give a smooth experience. Is, is that realistic to expect? I think so. Um, I, I mean, ultimately, as long as your private data is not in there and the aggregated data isn't being weaponized in any creepy ways, the, the problem is what you think of creepy and what I think of creepy might be totally different. So true, true. You know, yeah. cool. No, always good to check with a, with an actual developer in case we're off base. So it's great to have you here. Um, yeah, I, I do think there's a there is a risk that we have crappier apps if user experience designers can't see what we're doing. You know, well, if if that starts to become a reality, I'm hoping you will be so kind as to ping me an email so I can say that on the show because that's the kind of thing I <laughs> very much want to be aware of. Okay, great. Uh, another long-running saga has been the whole right-to-repair thing. Um, Apple made some very positive moves in the United States, and I think in Canada a few months ago. Well, they have now extended that, so the independent repair provider program has been rolled out globally now. So that's uh, a positive development. However, simultaneously, there are developments in the United States. Um, there are a lot of companies, including Apple, lobbying against a bill in Nevada that's trying to be run for a right to repair. So that's ongoing. Uh, and there's also a GoFundMe page been set up to raise money for a ballot initiative in Massachusetts on a right to repair. So there, there are two two laws, or two potential laws in, in flow in that regard in the United States to keep an eye on. I mean, I've always thought this right to, right to repair thing is... Uh, I just don't believe that Apple aren't clever enough to make... It, equipment that is repairable i mean <laughs> no, but it is repairable uh, nick but it's repairable uh, by people who who sign up particularly a lot of the stuff comes down to the cryptographic pairing of the components which we need oh uh, okay yeah so yeah i can see how that would be complicate matters yeah 
Uh, I was thinking more about, uh, and I know Apple are still going in this direction because of the M1 chips and everything, but uh, uh, basically making it un- unup- unupgradable as well is is one of those things that I've always thought that Apple could do if they really wanted to. And I know we've always argued that, you know, getting smaller and thinner and, and you can't possibly fit it all in, but they're clever. They're clever, those Apple people. Well, I think the way Apple, Apple, it, certainly if you ask um, Apple's environment people, their approach is the closed loop manufacturing. Their goal is to be closed loop by, was it 2030? And so that gets around that problem by continuing to make things in such a way that they're as small and light as possible, but without the waste of throwing them in a landfill. Yeah, which is a good thing. Yeah, so, you know, it's a different approach, right? It's a repairability by a different way. We shall repair it by turning it into a whole new phone. It, it, it is <laughs> yeah. funny. I was I was watching a, a YouTube video the other day, and, and this guy was talking about this sort of thing where things fall out of warranty and you have to repair, then send them back and get them repaired by the authorized repairer. And I'm not talking Apple specifically here, or this uh, YouTube video wasn't. But then he raised the game and started talking and, and had a few shots across the bow at Apple without any real good reasoning behind it just the fact that you know some repairs need to be done and i do think there is a lot of hearsay out there about this stuff but i i agree with you that as long as as long as the re um recyclability of these products is good and we are getting products which are fit for purpose for x period um i'm not sure that i'm too concerned about the 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 right to repair in the view of some the way some people see it or view it because you know they they view that they could take it down to their their local market and the guy can open up the back and do a quick repair well really do you really want that to be able to you know be done on your devices yeah it's there's swings and i guess there's a couple of different things here so one of the ones that really gets my goat is when people demand the right to tinker with it themselves and still retain their warranty yeah, and that—that that just yeah. like no. I'm sorry. If you want your warranty, you get it repaired by an authorized reseller because some hatchet job around the corner does not. You know, you don't get to keep your warranty. And then you have the cryptographic stuff. I mean, I absolutely, positively do not want to end up in a world where my face ID is no longer secure because everyone has the right to change out the sensor. On the other hand, it was ridiculous that when a phone was out of warranty, that Apple would go out of their way to to prevent people repairing them. And thankfully, with this new in, independent repair provider program that they have made global now, they've gotten rid of that stupidity. So I kind of like where Apple have ended up. And maybe the argument is they would never have ended up here without the pressure put on them by the right to repair people. It rather reminds me of um, going back many, many years to my um, first uh I think it was on my Archimedes computer. Wow. Way back in the... In, in That's a great computer. <laughs> I have one of those. <laughs> Love it. Right. Uh, the first well, I remember up, I remember upgrading it to, um, I think it was four megabytes of memory. God, those oh, are the days. My first computer had four megs. It was, it was, yeah, yes, it was, it but, was like, but, oh, wow, how would you need that much? But, Yes, and the trouble is um, that the way they were made, the um, the 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 one hundred and twenty eight k sodiums that you had to insert inserted upright with tiny little pins on the ends of them. So if you can imagine a normal chip, but rather than having pins on either side of the chip, they sort of protrude from the thin end. Ooh, 
Yeah, and 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 I had to go at doing it myself, and I couldn't. I I, I, I broke it. <laughs> well, I didn't actually break it. I took it eventually into a into a a company to have a look at it, and they fixed it. So obviously, something I'd done hadn't worked properly, but they were incredibly hard to fix uh, to to actually insert in the first place. And it's one of those things where the instructions say don't put too much force on them otherwise you know they'll bend over and that's it that'll be the end of them so you don't and then of course you don't insert them properly <laughs> well there's a fine so, line there right you know what is too much force that's that's a wonderful exactly. thing to read in, in the document you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I but, uh, but, uh, mocked mercilessly because he installed his own ram in the days of the the, the vertical dims and those dims, they have a, a slot that's not symmetric in the middle to make it impossible to put them in backwards. Oh, Unless right. you apply sufficient oh. force, the motherboard will bend and they will click it on each side. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so, anyway. so pr- you know, there are disadvantages to having to repair things yourself, aren't there? <laughs> or, right. or, get, or get even getting third parties who are not qualified. And I feel like bringing up the the RAM chips is actually a really great perspective because I, I used to be an Apple certified repair person. And I, back then, it was all component level troubleshooting. You know, if something was broken, you, you would hook up a tester, test every pin on the chip, swap out the chip or swap out the motherboard or swap out the hard drive. You know, it was... It was an Apple would, based on your success rate, uh, you know, incentivize the company that you were working for by giving you better deals on on the hardware that you were buying to to do these warranty or not warranty repairs. And these days, I don't I, I don't think I have a voltmeter or an oscilloscope that could do anything on an iPhone. <laughs> you know? it's, they're just too yeah. small. And We're you know, mentioning contacts. the yeah, mentioning the replacing a chip, like these these socks are tiny. It's not like a, a P100 where you know it, it had all those pins and you could have a zero insertion force bar that pushes it down for you it's these things are they have to be soldered on there's no other option you know the soldering has to be machine done at the factory so i I mean i do think that if you need to have your your glass replaced because there's a crack in it that that should be totally available to anyone unless until you get socks and glass which i think will be coming in the next four or five years you know so when we have the under glass fingerprint reader that'll change we can't yeah corning yeah. corning does have socks on glass so mm. uh, at this point there are chips that are inside glass that, that you can't really see um that can produce video even so uh, you know i think whether it's the future of of glasses or the future of contact lenses or or even heads-up displays in cars that kind of thing is not that far in the future. And, and it's funny because I have continually in my career thought, well, I think that's five years off and then it's actually 30 years off, you know? So, well, it's really yeah. hard to tell, right? Because but, sometimes you think stuff is 20 years off and it's there next week. And then sometimes you think it'll be there in two or three years and it never comes. Like, you know, AI <laughs> that actually works has been five years away for as long as I've been a computer scientist. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's right. Uh, battery technology is the same, isn't it? It's always going to be better. It's going to be twice as good next year, or maybe the year after. Well, the year after. The I think battery technology has fast. improved, though. Sorry. Oh, oh, yes, it has. No, I'm not saying it hasn't. I'm just saying that everyone would like it to be ten times better, and it oh, rarely well, is. Yeah. <laughs> well, we increase our demand as we increase the battery quality. So the end result is it still takes us the same amount of time to charge the bloody thing. Uh, yes, that's true. Yeah. Right. I'm going to uh, move us along. The other long running story is that antitrust authorities around the world continue to focus their gaze on all of big tech, really. But Apple are obviously part of that. Um the UK is uh, investigating the App Store over suspected antitrust, oh, sorry, anti-competitive behaviour. Uh, the French startup or a French startup lobby has filed a privacy complaint against Apple with uh, that was France Digital. Uh, they say Apple users are shown personalised ads without consent, also without evidence, as far as I can tell. But we shall see how that investigation goes. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think I've ever seen a personalised ad from Apple, to be honest. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out where in my Apple apps I'm seeing ads at all, personal or not, no. but there we go. No, that's right. About the, only, about the only place you're likely to see ads in Apple is in, in news, and if you've got an ad blocker, they don't show up anyway. You just get a bar that says advertisement. And those aren't from Apple, right? Those are from the news <coughs> vendor. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, look, I I I don't. Apple responded quite indignantly um, to to Francis Chow, um and I'm kind of inclined to believe them. Uh, Australia is uh, extending its probe into tech giants, and Apple and Google are both in the radar because of their browser domination. So basically, because Safari has such a large market share on Apple devices, and Google has such a large market share on other devices. Be interesting to see what they decide. And uh, despite having made a, a deal with the Korean anti antitrust uh, authorities, uh, they've decided that deal seems to be off because uh, Apple are being prosecuted in South Korea for hampering antitrust investigations. We shall see how that pans out in the next few months. Um, in other news, uh, last time we mentioned that there were bills uh, being spawned, you know, basically, I can't believe it's not the Epic Games bill. Um, we talked about a few of them last month, and uh, the only one still in play at the moment seems to be the one in Arizona, um, and that one fell rather out of play. Um, it passed the House, the State House, uh, and then proceeded to die a rather unspectacular or unceremonious death in the State Senate. Um, it was due to come up for a vote and basically didn't. Um, and uh, the Commerce Chair basically said, yeah, the thing only had one guaranteed vote, so we pulled it. So it <laughs> would appear that uh, that's not, not going anywhere in Arizona. And uh, in related news, I think... We now uh, we now know that only three percent of Apple's revenue was lost by cutting the developer fees. So while most Apple developers make less than a million and are now getting more of the money, Apple are not actually losing that much because the most apps are from the really really big developers. So it's kind of an interesting relationship that you know eighty percent of developers don't make eighty percent of the apps. It's it's interesting. I think that calculation yeah. was was touted fairly early doors, wasn't it? Though they said that you know they're doing this, but actually they they may not lose very much. So it's interesting to see the actual percentage now. 
Well, to me, what it says is that all of this notion of, oh, Apple are being so hard on small businesses, it's like, no, Apple are going hard on the giant big mega corps mm. that they're yeah, competing yeah. with. And that's very much a game of equals. I, I don't feel sorry for, a, you know, major corporations having to compete. Oh, how terrible for them. Um, so I, I kind of like Apple's approach here to basically say, yeah, if you make less than a million, you get to keep more of your money. Oh, look, that didn't actually make all that much of a difference because this whole thing about, oh, thinking of small developers was a smokescreen anyway. Um, Google have followed Apple. Uh, they have also reduced their fees for smaller developers, but Google have taken a somewhat slightly more generous approach. They're basically saying that everyone, regardless of how much you make, gets reduced fees on the first million dollars you make, and then after that you start paying more fees on subsequent money, which is probably a little bit fairer, actually, yeah. than Apple's situation, where if you accidentally make a million and one dollars, you're all of a sudden thrown out of the program. It's, you know, Yeah. It'd probably only be 4% instead of 3%. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, exactly. But, you know, it's just from a developer point of view, it's less scary. To, if you're on the cusp, you know, am I about to yes. it? Am I accidentally going to be too successful and do myself serious harm? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure, I mean, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm pretty sure that if you were in that, you know, borderline area where you might go over. I'm pretty sure Apple would probably say, well, we'll take an average over the last three years or something. And oh, if you do it, I'm not you sure know, about that. I'm not... I'm not sure, but, you know, really, would you, you know, do you think you would literally go, oh, you've made one million and one dollars, so therefore you've got to pay us 30%, not 15 I'd my understanding is think... that you would lose your eligibility for the program, which I think is done year by year. So next year you'd be out. Right. Hmm. Charles, okay. do you have any insight? Uh, I don't have any insight. I have an assumption. And when you assume, you make a you-know-what out of yeah, you and me. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> apologies in advance. But my assumption is definitely that at that $1 million and $1 mark, you are out for sure. So... Yeah, I don't like, you know, that's kind of a, it's just an odd perverse incentive to be successful, but be careful, you know, because if you're going to make 2 million, it's not a problem. But if you're going to make 1.1 million, then you really do stand to lose if you accidentally make 1.1 instead of 0.9 million. Yeah, dear customers, Mm. please stop buying my app. (laughs) Yeah, I know, it's it's weird. I'm pretty sure that Apple must have a relationship, um, uh, people that deal with the, um, the, app developers so you know when you get to a certain size you would then get a much closer or a different relationship you know compared to when you were very much smaller um and then you're going to have a negotiation of sorts in terms of well all sorts of different bits and and pieces in terms of you know your payment terms all all that sort of stuff because all big businesses do that and if they say they don't that's that's i think that's bunkum so i'm sure apple have the same sort of thing it's just that these are the the rules for everybody to see uh, out in the wider world mm. well there definitely exists developer relations as a thing mm. um so you know they, they they exist as a group of people but what they do you know, you know. anyway um, another story we talked about a few months ago was an investigation into whether or not Apple Card was being handed out to people in a gender-biased way because there was an anecdote that someone got a different quote to their wife even though they were married and you know had the same income, etc. And it's like, yeah, but not the same history. 
you haven't lived the same life since you were born, so why would you assume it's necessarily because of gender bias? But of course, that made a great headline, Apple evil gender bias, oogie boogie boogie. So <laughs> investigations were launched, lo and behold, nope, that didn't happen. There was no gender bias. The plural of anecdote is in fact, sorry, the plural of, yeah, the plural of anecdote is in fact not data. It, it, it was a non-story, so let us move on. Yeah, what a complete waste of time and effort and, and a cost of investigation. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, I, that, I, I oh, am sorry. very supportive of trying to eliminate as someone who's written plenty of machine learning stuff. I'm very supportive of trying to eliminate any kind of gender, racial, et cetera, bias mm. in the machine learning algorithms, because like a basic K nearest neighbor search or some of these different algorithms, it's really easy to have stuff like that happen if you're not being diligent about not doing that. And I don't think you want to have that creep up anyways, because I don't think it's statistically significant in a way that, um, that, that you would want to accidentally have, have out there, if that makes sense. The, the, can, can the I issue add? without, sorry, sorry, sorry. no, go yeah. ahead, guys. Very quickly. The, the problem with writing an algorithm is that very point. Someone has to write the algorithm and the bias within that person will creep into it unless, as you say, Charles, they are extremely careful. And that's very difficult to do. Right. But the thing is, with, an, with machine learning, the human doesn't write the algorithm. That, that's the machine learning part. The I, machine I learns its own yet, algorithm. Yeah, so, I'm yet to see any real good example of any machine learning. Um, and let's not even mention the word, the letters AI. Right, but no, no, no. ML is real. Look, machine learning is like AI. General real. AI doesn't exist, but ML is used a lot. So I, with, know, I with... know ML is, but but I'm I'm still every conference I go to and have been to, the the amount of bias which is still crept in there from the early doors, and even the bias of the the prob, One of the things that I noted actually was you can even create bias by the data that you're actually. Okay, that's what I was going to get well. to, guys. The, the, the human hasn't written the algorithm. The human has given a bunch of training data to the AI, and the human has told the AI what is good and what is bad, and the, the AI has learned how to distinguish good from bad. But if you, tell, if you give the AI the wrong mission, it is guaranteed to come up with an algorithm that reinforces your biases. So that's the first yep. way it can go wrong. And the other way it can go wrong is if your training data isn't an accurate reflection of planet Earth. Yeah. And then you're teaching your AI in the absence of real world data. So that's how you ended up with a photos classifier accidentally classifying black people as gorillas because the training data only contained white men and gorillas. And well, the training data was really bloody well flawed and out came in a spectacularly racist algorithm. Yeah. The only thing I'd say about that, which it, all of that, I agree with all of that. I'm, I just think, uh, I think it's actually good that there was an investigation that found no bias. I don't think it was a waste of time. I, I think I'm with Charles on that. It's it's worth doing to make sure that there is no bias. Okay, yeah, I, I totally sure. agree with you there. But the, the I think the problem was everybody knew that the person that was complaining was just shooting from their mouth. Oh yeah, well that's a, that's a, a that's slightly a diff different, slightly different different story. I I get it, but you know, um, let's just because someone has a lot of um, uh, ears doesn't mean that everything they say is correct. 
No, that is also true. But I just think in this case, it was probably worth investigating just to be, you know, above board and in the clear and say, here you go, we've had an independent investigation and there is no bias. It's a good outcome. It's, it's good. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. I, I, I just think that it, there's a lot of deeper little avenues and, and channels and uh, ways that you could go which uh, create all sorts of problems. It's just that this this particular – I think I, I totally agree with you that investigating something which seems on the face of it um, a complaint, if that complaint was put in appropriately – totally but it wasn't even a complaint that was put in appropriately it was just someone spouting their mouth off out in the world yeah yeah well i guess maybe you know maybe apple felt at that grounds even if it was you know if you might what they what do they call it um well, malicious yeah. you know a, a yeah, malicious yeah. thing that but maybe it's better to just get it out there and say right okay we, you know, we can, uh, you know, oh, I'm we sure Apple, Apple's, Apple's complaint, you know, but from Apple's let's pocket, just do it. Not no. a problem. Anyway, I, I, I'm going to move yeah, us on, move folks. On. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The last bit of follow up I have here is the US China trade war continues to fizzle on. Um, Huawei are cranky at uh, the United States for the, the limitations being put on them, uh, particularly around 5G and stuff. So, um, They've decided to retaliate their turn, uh, so they're going to start charging per-device royalties to smartphone handset makers uh, for the patents they own on 5G technology. Not entirely surprising if you say to them, yeah, you can't bid on our 5G infrastructure. It's like, yeah, well, we own the patents, so uh, you'll be handing us some money then, won't you? So anyway, that is yeah. that is just another development in that ongoing saga. Next up, we just want to pay a quick visit to some legal stories. I'm going to run through these quite quickly. Really, Epic Games versus Apple, we are in the lead-up stage. This thing is heading to court in the next few months. So I'm going to focus on it in the next few months when it actually gets to court. But just, you know, put a pin in it for now and just know that when it does get to court, we're going to get to see Tim Cook testify along with a bunch of other big Apple execs. Federighi's name is in there too. Um... Epic Games, unfortunately, one of their epic, one of their expert witnesses has been told that yeah, you got to give fourteen hours of deposition at Apple's request. Uh, epic wanted less, obviously. Apple won. Uh, we mocked the judge last time for saying yeah, yeah, we'll have an in-court hearing in the middle of a pandemic. Um, the judge has been forced to back down a little on that. Um, it's going to be a little bit less in court than previously promised um, with the bubbles and all sorts of weird stuff going on. So I guess it'll be a little bit safer. All of that's in the US case, which is, as I say, coming to trial. Uh, meanwhile, in the United Kingdom, um, Epic has filed another, a second antitrust complaint against Apple with the UK Competition Authority. So, yay. Um, some... Interesting analysis from the Mac Observer. It, it would appear from what we are seeing in the lead up to the US case that economists are actually playing a really big part in this case because it really does all come down to whether or not Apple are monopolists. And that really does come down to how all the money flows about. So I think at the end result of all this, we're going to have a much better idea of how money flows in the gaming industry. And just because I couldn't find anywhere else to hang this in the show notes, uh, Valve have released the Steam Link app in the Mac App Store. Sorry, in the Apple. Yeah, in the app. Sorry, in the Mac App Store. I did read that right the first time. So, it, like, if you don't act the idiot, there's no reason you can't have your good gaming stuff in Apple's ecosystem. You know, other people are managing just fine, but Epic have decided to, you know, 
well, whether they die on this hill or not, they've certainly decided to climb up on this hill and have a great big fight. So, and anything anyone feels strongly about to chime in there before we move on? Mm, um, not really. Yeah, we keep our you know, I, I, Sorry. Yeah, I I remember having to pay distributors uh, 30, 40, 50 points and retailers 30, 40, 50 points and walking away with 10 to 20 points of a game or an app. Um, so I, I think I have a much less, you know, uh, antitrust mindset when it comes to this. Uh, have, having said that, I, I know that some of these changes do unduly hit uh, a developer for example, oh, here's notarization, you have to notarize, or here's a framework, you can't sideload other games in because we haven't not- checked the notarization for those games and we don't know that there's malware and it's not a safe world anymore like it was back when we traded floppies that had viruses on them. Never mind. Um, but, <laughs> you know, it, it's not it's not a really simple thing. I, I do think that... As evolutions occur, so the developers receive so much more of the money now. That's great. Um, And then the next stage is just increasing that because you have this economy of scale. But the reason developers receive more than when we had to walk to a store and buy a box and then maybe do a software update that was as big as the software that we just loaded from a CD um, is because of that economy of scale. So you know, if you want to have another option, like a, a separate app store, there are a few out there, but, you know, are you going to do the same level of notarization and privacy and security checking? And if anything gets through, then all of a sudden Apple's in the press receiving bad PR because some other way, like, when people who jailbreak their phone, when there's an attack for that, the headlines don't say jailbreak, jailbroken phones now exposed. The headlines say someone hacked an iPhone, you know? Yeah, which is so, deeply unfair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, having said that, I think, you know, the moves to reduce the the percentage that Apple takes for smaller companies, those kind of things should happen as Apple reaps more rewards from that economy of scale, you know? Yeah. So. No argument there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in other legal news, um, there is a class action lawsuit in the United States about Apple giving refurbished devices as part of their, um, you know, when something goes wrong, your your device can be replaced with a refurb. Uh, that is proceeding to trial, even though Apple tried to get it thrown out. So in August, we will get, a trial for that, so I guess keep your eyes peeled. Uh, there is a class action lawsuit about the butterfly keyboards because, of course, there is. Yeah. I was going to say, not, not very predictable at all. No. Um, those charming people in Texas who seem to fill up all of their patent juries have uh, found in favour of a non-practising entity, a.k.a. patent troll, called Personalised Media Communications... Their expert witness recommended that they were owed a little over two hundred million, and the jury increased it to three hundred million when they found an apples against Apple. I mean, I don't. What did what did they put in the water in Texas to make these juries just like always find the 
dumbest things in these patent trials. Anyway, uh, this is about the Fair Play DRM uh, that Apple used for the App Store, etc. Apple have said they will appeal, unsurprisingly, so that's not over yet. Um, in other parts of the world, Apple have been fined in Brazil for selling iPhones without chargers. Um, and yeah. Apple are going to yeah. settle a lawsuit in Quebec uh, over their 2011 MacBook Pros being defective. And finally, for some levity, uh, in London, a judge has found that Apple cannot stop Swatch from trademarking one more thing. The judge actually said that clearly Swatch are only doing it to annoy Apple, but that doesn't make it illegal. Therefore, <laughs> they may take a trademark purely to annoy Apple because the law doesn't make it illegal to be annoying. So there you go. It's not and illegal to be a okay. yeah, exactly. Apparently, because, because Apple didn't actually bother to trademark it themselves. Yeah, and actually the other thing that I thought was very funny, uh, the argument from Swatch was, yeah, but Columbo said it, and the judge went, that's a good point. Oh, yeah, there you go. So the Columbo <laughs> defense, anyway. That's a bit of. Oh, I'd like to say. I'd like to say one more thing. Um, <laughs> good. Oh, oh no, there are police at the door. Hold on. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, a bit ridiculous, yeah. but there you go. As I say, for levity rather than for serious discussion. Um, <laughs> a, a quick update on some hirings and firings within Apple, the HR acquisitions, etc. A senior cardiologist is joining Apple. So again, obvious continuation on their health focus. Another veteran of the entertainment industry, uh, Zenon Clifton, has joined uh, Apple TV Plus. And uh, long-time App Store developer relations boss. Uh, oh, clearly developer relations exists. They had a guy called Ron Okam- Okamoto running it, who is retiring and being replaced by Suzanne Prescott. Or Pre- I've heard every American say Prescott, but I would say Prescott. But then again, she's not British, so maybe... I don't know. Anyway, Prescott, Prescott. Uh, and finally, some interesting analysis. Apple have been acquiring more AI companies than anyone else over the last four years. So clearly they are focusing on health, AI and Apple TV+. Plus. Not sure. <laughs> in, a quick sur- in a quick update on Apple's various services, last time we had as one of our main stories that Apple were doing really well in the award nominations. And that sort of felt like maybe that story wasn't quite done. Yep. That story wasn't quite done. So, catching up since the last time. Servant for All Mankind, Amazing Stories, have all been nominated for Saturn Awards. Ted Lasso has earned nominations from the Directors Guild of America and the Producers Guild of America. Apple TV Plus films Greyhound and Wolfwalkers have earned BAFTA nominations in the United Kingdom. And Apple has bagged Oscar nominations for Greyhound and Wolfwalkers. So, basically, BAFTAs and Oscars. So that's all nominations, but since we last spoke, there have been actual awards handed out, and uh, Ted Lasso did rather well. Uh, So Ted Lasso wins all three Critics' Choice Awards it was nominated for. Ted Lasso wins Best Comedy Series and Best New Series in the Writers Guild of America Awards. Jason Sudakis wins a Screen Actors Guild of America Award for his role in Ted Lasso. Finally, not Ted Lasso. The Banker has won Outstanding Independent Motion Picture from the NAACP. Totally good. I love Ted Lasso, and clearly I'm not wrong. Um, (laughs) The conclusion I draw from these stories. Uh, I enjoyed Ted Lasso too. I thought it was good. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm very much keeping my fingers crossed for the Oscars and the BAFTAs for Wolfwalkers. Um, being an Irish success story, I obviously wish them extremely well. And I did enjoy Greyhound, I'll be honest. But I didn't think it was worthy of an Oscar. But anyway, that's what I hear now. Um, Apple continue to sign more deals uh, that are, I would say, noteworthy. Uh, they have a partnership with Malala Yousafzai, which is certainly an interesting source of new content. Uh, they have a first yeah. look deal with Ron Howard's Imagine Entertainment and a first look deal with Natalie Portman's new production company. So I guess good pipeline. Uh, Tim Cook loves talking about his pipeline. So there we go. Um, and I don't want to go through every new show that has come out and every new show that's been announced because we'll be here forever and I don't actually know half the names I read in the headlines. But what did catch my eye is that the shows Apple have been releasing have been having the desired effect as in drawing people to their service. So the Billy Irish... Uh, the, let me try pronounce that properly. The Billy Eilish documentary ha- drove record Apple TV Plus subscriptions. So that's clearly a good thing. And the movie Cherry starring Tom Holland, uh, when that came out on Apple TV, it actually drove Apple TV to the top of the streaming charts. So again, that is the desired outcome. And just because it seemed important and related, Apple and the Redford Center, as in Robert Redford, uh, are launching a youth filmmaker or a youth filmmaking challenge on the topic of environmental justice. Hmm. That's good. Right, uh, I need a breather after all that reading, but I have more reading to do. Um, Apple have added something called Sailists to Apple Music, which I just thought was really cool. These are playlists for kids with speech sound disorders. So these are kids who have problems pronouncing certain words. And the remedy or the treatment for speech sound disorders is repetition. And it's kind of hard to get a kid to just say things over and over and over again. Getting kids to sing things over and over again if they're catchy, that's way easier. So these sailists are songs that have been specially chosen to help kids with these speech disorders to treat themselves by having some fun on Apple Music. So I just thought that was such a cool thing for Apple to be involved with. Yeah, that's good. Um, I... Yeah. Is someone trying to chime in there or will I continue? Oh, no, I'll I just say that, yeah, that's excellent. And, um, you know... Yeah, brilliant. You know, good. Another part of their accessibility drive, I guess. You know, yeah, or health, or it. both. Yeah, I'm not not sure which category yeah. that fit, best fits into, but either way, we we all agree that that is yeah, thumbs up on that one. Uh, Apple Podcasts have teamed up with Common Sense Media to make recommendations for kids. So this is, I think, for the mental sanity of uh, parents in pandemic times. Uh, so some good podcast content to you know help your kids learn. Uh, and to keep the adults sane, and maybe the kids too, actually, Apple Arcade has got 30 new games and two new categories. So it's nice to see that get a bit of TLC. And for those few of you who have to go out and about and drive around, uh, if you are a little fond of the um, right foot going a little bit too close to the carpet, um, Apple Maps now has speed cameras listed in more countries, specifically the Netherlands, Belgium, Australia, New Zealand, Brazil, Norway and Sweden. Not Ireland, so I'll have to be careful. (laughs) Not that I speed anyway. 
so with all of that, I'm finally going to move us on to our three main stories of the month. And to be honest, I haven't been particularly quick going through the other stuff because I found it really, really, really difficult to find three main stories this month. March is being very much like that midsummer lull. So the three main stories we're going to talk about are Apple cleaning house by discontinuing a whole bunch of products, Intel having the world's worst case of corporate schizophrenia I've ever come across, and uh, (laughs) the interesting story of Apple and the 2019 Russian law on pre-installing apps and Apple's interesting compromise with Russia. So digging into the first main story, all in March, we learned that Apple discontinued the iMac Pro. Apple then also later in the month discontinued some other iMac models and Apple discontinued the HomePod, leaving just the HomePod Mini as the only product in that category. So how do we interpret these stories? Anyone want to chime in first? Um, Well, the iMac Pro didn't surprise me at all. I've always thought of it as a bit of a stopgap product. Um. Mm. I always said it reminded me of the two FX where it's um you take you know you take an existing model and you squeeze every last drop of performance out of it by hot rodding it by you know <laughs> giving it special RAM and and, and, and special buses make it black and Very important. oh yeah make it a different color well the two FX wasn't a different color but it was a lot of money but you know to me that was that always struck me as a as a 2fx kind of solution where you know it used different ram it used different buses it used different processors um and to me it was always a stopgap to to fill the need until they could actually get a proper mac pro out and me if i'm wrong on this simon my memory is that the the, the imac pro was released in that window between that very unusual sit-down interview with John Gruber and a few others where they basically went, mea culpa, we utterly messed up the design of the Mac Pro. You know, Darth Vader's trash can turns out it was a terrible design. We painted ourselves up with a thermal corner, I believe they the called it. The thermal corner was how they described it, yes. And that's where the iMac Pro came from. As Like you say, stopgap, a very good... I am correct in my memory, am I? Yes, you are. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly when it appeared. And... um you know, it was a good machine for its time, but it always struck me as an evolutionary dead end. And the, you know, the newer iMacs are now certainly the top end iMacs. Even the Intel ones are, you know, on a par with a with an iMac Pro. So the fact that they've discontinued it doesn't surprise me at all. Especially as we all know that an M series iMac is going to come in the near future. I, and I have to... so many of my fingers crossed because I am staring at a 2018 uh, 5K iMac, which I adore. But it's a 2018 machine, and I, you know, I think it it could do with uh, it could do with an M inside it instead of an Intel chip. So come on, yeah, Apple, you know, get, you know, get on. So with I'm it. pretty, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the, you know, there will be new iMacs within, you know, within a stone's throw. Whether whether it's before WWDC or at WDC or whatever it is irrelevant, they they are going to appear in the near future, and I I just think the iMac you know the iMac Pro has come to the end of its useful life because I think pretty pretty much the the minute that the real 
quote unquote Mac Pro was unveiled, the iMac Pro was doomed. I also I also think that looking looking at these um, all of these things where they're discontinuing things. Um, it also it also smacks. I mean, sometimes it can be something quite small that that makes this happen. So it might be that some of the components they use in the iMac Pro have become more difficult to source or more difficult to make, or they're just costing too much. Mm. Uh, and and because it isn't that popular anymore, they've just you know it, it's common sense. They've just said, look, we're throwing money at this, and there's no need. Let's just discontinue it. Now, the fact that they've gone for several does sound like they're having a little bit of a spring clean, doesn't it? It sounds to me um, like making some room in the factory, you know, in the, in the distribution warehouses, yeah. et cetera, for some shiny new Absolutely. Room. And this is utter wishful thinking, right? So they're clearing up room for the coloured anodized so I can get a blue iMac M1 iMacs with, with colours. That, that's what I'm telling myself. Zero evidence for this, <laughs> right? But, I think well, the, at the colours you won't be able to see because they'll be on the back of the machine. Well, I, I suppose <laughs> if the rumour that the chin is going away is true, then it is actually quite irrelevant, and then I won't be nearly as excited yeah. about the colours. <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, they've probably made a lot of decisions over the past, certainly the past twelve, thirteen months. I know that their the process will take a lot longer than that, but I, I think actually the in the time of the past year with COVID um, has either proved and reasserted the sales for those products i think for a lot of people uh, the biggie or the most um, surprising one was certainly the uh, home pod being discontinued but if people were going to buy it they were certainly going to be buying it in this last year um, with everything that's been going on and if if mm-hmm. those sales haven't been moving then for them it would have just been i think a uh, reaffirmation that um, actually this isn't going anywhere. We either got to change it or we stick and and improve the the, the products we've got at the moment. But with the the iPad Pro, um, iMac Pro, certainly that was that was always a doomed product. I think as as been, has been said. Um, but you know the past year I think has helped them probably just bring it all to a fruition and say right now we're moving forward and um, watch this space with uh, lots of lovely new products. Yeah, I think with the iMac, I think uh, correct. Uh, chime in if I'm if I'm wrong about this, but I think universally everyone assumes this is by no means the end of the iMac. This is just cleaning no, the house. No. Yep. But the HomePod is way more intriguing because the HomePod is either cleaning house because there's about to be effectively an iMac Mini Maxi. Sorry, not an iMac, oh. a, a HomePod Mini Maxi is basically a bigger version of the better home. You know, the HomePod Mini is better than the HomePod in many ways. So you make it bigger. It's a sensible new possible product. Or you see, I I, I, I think I've, I, yeah, I've expressed on Essential Apple that I think the HomePod, I think the HomePod was a miss from the beginning, and I, I still do. It hasn't had everyone else. You know, everyone else. You know, they never got round to rolling it out to to most countries. It is not possible to buy any HomePod in Ireland. Oh wow, yeah. that's oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. No. Yeah, so no. the UK I... and the US have it, and a few other countries have it, but they basically never got around to rolling it out. And I have been waiting for a bloody HomePod because I want one. And uh, let's just say that there are now two lovely Sono speakers in my house, and I'm delighted. <laughs> yeah, well, I just think I just think there were too many 
there are too many alternatives that were better at doing a, a variety of things. The HomePod was sold very much on its sound quality. Uh, and the sheer fact, if you're going to spend a lot of money on sound quality, there are other things you can buy other than a HomePod. And it, it wasn't the best device for being a smart speaker. Yeah, no, yeah I'd say the Sonuses I bought are the ones without a microphone because there's no way that Amazon lady is coming into my house. <laughs> well, that's and, fair enough. Amazon ladies in my house, but and I've got a couple I'm, of Sonos. Yeah, and I just wonder whether <laughs> actually if Siri had been a lot better in the eyes of a lot of people, then would it, would it have done better? Would the HomePod have done better? Yeah, I don't. You see, the thing I, is, so, Siri was never designed to be a smart speaker um, <clears throat> AI, was it? But the, the, she, well, like, it, but the Mini made that a lot better. So well, I no, think the Mini was just cheaper. Yeah, but, but it's yeah, but the, the <laughs> problem no, it's is, it's, it's now it's now too late, though, isn't it? But it was never about money. I think the lack of traction. You know, if you look at where their apps and where their developers making apps, people will flock to those platforms. And I, having written a couple of uh, skills, they call them in the the Amazon lady. Uh, I can't say the word because I've no, got one sitting right by my desk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, having written a few skills, they're they're small Python or you know Node.js apps. It's really simple to write. Um, you you have to think pretty deeply sometimes about how you're going to portray things for an audio only experience. I think, which is more the programming challenge. But yeah, there's there's not an open platform for that on the other side of the fence. And I think, you know, Apple can think through here, are 10 awesome use cases or anything you can do with SIRI, you can do with, you know, a HomePod, but, you know, on the skill side, I can, I can teach her how to play tic-tac-toe or if any, anything that I have thought of that, that Amazon hasn't thought of, or Apple hasn't thought of, I can make, you know, and and I think that is really the power that that kind of SDK app developer. Of course, I would think that, right? But, <laughs> right, but is shortcuts on its way to providing an answer to that? Shortcuts is like crappy JavaScripts wrapped up. In, I, I don't think so. Um, you don't think? Okay, I, no, that's, you know, it's yeah. a good perspective. Yeah, I, I, I go ahead. I, yeah, sorry. I I just thought the HomePod was too expensive. And it was it was compromised from the start. It didn't have Bluetooth. It didn't have, you know, an aux socket. The Siri on it was not optimized to be a, a HomeKit hub, whereas in the Mini, they definitely made big improvements on that, if, if that's what you're interested in. Um, you know, if you wanted a stereo pair, you were looking at, at least initially, you were looking at spending $700. If you're going to spend seven hundred dollars on quality audio equipment, I think there are a lot better options. Unless you're totally, you know, obsessed with having Apple gear. Um, and, no, privacy is definitely a selling point, right? So I just so I, the only smart speaker that would ever come into the house would be an Apple one. There's, there's just no way that a Google speaker or a, a, no. an Amazon speaker is coming into my house if it has a mic. But in the end, I decided to go with Sonos anyway because, well. I always have my watch on. So when I need S-Lady, she is literally the race of a wrist away. 
And the fact that I have her set up to only listen when I raise my wrist is actually a feature, not a bug. Because it means that there's no accidental triggering going on. She's not accidentally thinking, oh, what did you say? It's like, no, if I don't raise my wrist and talk to you, you're not listening. Perfect. So initially I thought, oh, this is, I'm, I'm really compromising by going with Sonos because I'm not going to have any smart speakers in the house. And I'm thinking, well, I don't need a smart speaker. My wrist does it all. So I'm not sure what my point is there, but I, I guess. Yeah, I, I, no, I, I get what you're saying. I'm just saying with the HomePod, in the HomePod Mini, they added a whole load of HomeKit hub functions mm. and, and, and the, and the um, like the intercom function and... Yeah, that is and a whole load of things, yeah. a whole load of things like that, which the the original HomePod didn't have, and I just think it was, it was almost like they built it to be a fabulous stereo piece of kit, and then realised that that's not going to shift. So like, we'll shoehorn Siri in at the last minute, and don't we know that's didn't... what happened? Don't we know that they were working on basically in the, the next iPod Hi-Fi, and then they ended up crowbarring in Siri. Haven't we found that out from leaks since? I, I, I don't know. I don't know because I'm, I, you know, I don't have a HomePod. I never had any desire to have a HomePod, to be honest. So I haven't really followed it. I was not really surprised when they said it was going away. Right, I so mean, leaving aside the end of the HomePod, right? My question mm-hmm. is, is this just the first experiment, which was, as we all agree, deeply compromised? being put aside and that what's actually going to happen is there's a better version of the HomePod mini about to be dropped on us. And the, the, this category is going to leap forward and we're all going to be, you know, Oh, that was a great move, Apple to, to get rid of that clunky device. Or I think Amazon think are too far idea? ahead. I think Amazon are too far ahead in the, mm. in the, in all honesty, in the um, smart home market. So well, privacy isn't um, enough. No, no, I don't think it is, Bart. In all honesty, if you if you you've got if you've got two machines and you said this one costs hundred quid, this one costs three hundred and fifty quid, this one will interact with everything, this one will keep you secure. How how many? Which one will most people choose? Yeah, that's, I that's was. Still, the I most was people trying. will choose the cheap, less secure yeah. one. I, I was primed <laughs> for this, and like you, Bart, there's no way that I wanted any um, either Amazon or. Um, or for that that case, Google coming into my house, um, and I wanted to get a HomePod, and I never did because it was too expensive. Yeah, and even the yeah. Mini didn't push you over the edge. The, the Mini did made me think very hard, but I haven't gone because I'm now waiting to see what happens. What happens next? Yeah, I mean, one thing that I I find really attractive about the Mini, by the way, is that a lot of corporate giveaways for like you're speaking at a conference or you're attending a conference and there's the grab bag type things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I find the price point just like with the iPod shuffle or some of the other devices in the same kind of pricing category. Um, I, I find that I'm starting to see them pop up in in various marketing spreadsheets as things that companies are buying to give away for free. Wow. I, I obviously go to the wrong conferences. I get a pen. <laughs> I, I know this is just me, but I have seen other people putting forward the same mm. kind of concept. And we all know that the Apple TV is in a really, really weird position at the minute, you know, against the competition. 
again, it's a thing where it is lovely, but you know, you could go and buy a Sonos for 30 quid rather than 150 quid for an Apple device. And it does all the same things. And Apple TV plus is now on millions of smart TVs and it's on Chromecast and it's on fire stick and, and all the rest. I would say if Apple decided to do a sound bar as a kind of, you know, a HomePod soundbar with a built-in Apple TV and mm. possibly some ga- gaming things. Maybe it comes with a, mm. you know, a, a proper controller so, so that you can ramp up the gaming capabilities of Apple TV. I think that, pitched at the right price, could sell. I think That's an that interesting... Have... Yeah, um, I, I do have that, almost that same device from Amazon. And it's the thing about those Amazon devices is they're all fairly cheap. So mm. when the next generation comes along six months later, you know, you don't you don't want to be three or four versions back. But being one or two isn't a big deal. Um, but it, to me, they're all disposable. And that that was the that was the thing about the price point of the, the HomePod was it yeah. wasn't a disposable price point. That was a. But, yeah. You know, but I'm thinking, you know, when it comes to sound bars for your TV, we, we all know these days nearly everybody goes and buys a sound bar because most TVs have atrocious sound on them. I mean, why people can't build a decent sound system into a TV, I don't know, but that's a whole different matter. And people are prepared, people are prepared to pay reasonable money for a good sound bar. So I think you'd be competing more like for like, and if you added the Apple TV into it, you'd have a a much more compelling product, I think. Especially because the soundbar goes with the telly, so... Um, yeah. yeah. That they're, they're made for each other. I, I'm going to move us on to our second main story, which is basically <laughs> Intel talking out of both sides of its mouth, not knowing what it's doing. I, I don't know what's going on. So I, I guess <laughs> yeah. I give a rundown of the facts, and then we can take the discussion from there. But Intel started the month with some slightly... They could have been funny, but they weren't uh, ads with Justin Long as I'm a P. No, I'm not. I, I'm just a human being called Justin. And I think most people didn't understand the ads. Uh, they then had a big website saying why the PC is better than the Mac. So this is Intel having this big attack on the Mac. And it was basically it was full of rubbish. Like it wasn't particularly factually accurate. Um. They, I mean, I think one of the headlines from iMore is Intel slams Apple over MacBook Air battery lie owns itself in the process. Um, after, and then they turn around, and their new CEO says, uh, "Ah, yeah, those ads were a bit of competitive fun. And by the way, we're going into the chip foundry business. Um, we'd like Apple's comp. We'd like to be the builder of Apple's M chips." And it's like, did your PR department? ever encounter your CEO? Were they on the same planet at the same time as each other at any point in time? You don't insult Apple badly and then say, by the way, we'd like to build your chips that are terrible. And all of the critiques on the Mac, nothing in the M1 Macs is different to the regular Macs, apart from the fact that they have better battery life and better performance. There is no... Nothing has gotten worse with the switch to the M1 Mac. So every single critique about the Mac that that Intel made is a critique against Intel chips. Because 
all of those critiques apply to the Intel Macs equally, and most Macs are still Intel Macs. So why were they doing Microsoft's advertising, which is basically bashing Apple? I mean, they were basically running ads Microsoft should have been running, and they would have had a point where they were factually correct. But instead, they're pretending as if any of this has anything to do with the CPU whatsoever, which it clearly doesn't. And that switching to Intel would somehow make all of this different, which it clearly wouldn't, because, well, they're already running on Intel CPUs. Oh, and by the way, we want to make your CPUs now. So you have a section called Apple HR and Acquisition News. I'd like to see Intel HR News for the last uh, the next few weeks, because I think this was just one almighty cock up. Well, I mean, the new CEO certainly didn't get off to a good start. And I have a bit of a vested interest here because where I sit here in uh, near Dublin in Ireland, one of our largest employers is a certain company called Intel who are in the process of building a giant new fab within three miles of my house. And a lot of my fellow students in the physics and computer science departments here in Maynooth University went on to work for Intel. Intel are a major employer here. And to see them be so inept deeply worries me because I don't want them to go bust. But gosh darn it, they're not helping themselves. It actually smacks. It actually <clears throat> smacks of Samsung, doesn't it? I mean, it's the kind of thing Samsung would have done back in the day against the iPhone. Which for Samsung... Samsung would have said, Samsung would have said, ours is a lot better. Look, look, look at the technical specs of ours. Ours is a lot better than theirs. Uh, and yet, and as you say, it's, it, it, if it was against AMD, you can understand it to a certain extent. But Apple... I've got a small market, in comp- a very wealthy yeah, market. The, the problem is sometimes you get massive organizations that become far too big and can't, the internal communications break down. You get some ch- internal changes. Um, someone makes a decision. You get a new acquisition or not a new acquisition. You get a new person come in. Uh, they want to shake the tree. Um, the comms has gone hey, AWOL and then somebody makes, you know, you get a combination of things just happening um, all at the same time and it, let's hope com, c- considering what Bart's just said that it was just just that and bad luck because I agree I don't, you know for Intel to start falling over and to, to start going yeah. over the, the edge of a no we don't want Intel to go away do we? we want for everyone, to compete I think it's yeah. I think it's just I think it was just a mighty cock up to be honest with you lack of comms because really, I mean, it it wasn't even as if that ad was done very well. It was like <laughs> someone made a, a quick reaction and said, let's do this. It'll be funny. Mm. But it was a yeah. dad joke. Yeah. <laughs> We're not all dads. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, the only two things I have to say about that is their new CEO is a previous CEO. Um, I think he left Intel in. 2007 or 2009, I believe. Can't remember exactly when, but he was previously CEO of Intel. Um, But the other thing is, they say they want to make Apple's, you know, M1 chips, but Apple are buying four nanometer process technology, and Intel are still at, what, 12 or something? The new fab being built here a few mile away from me is going to be, you know, they're smaller nanometer, but they're not, they're not coming down 
even when that fab is up and running, they're going to be behind what Apple is doing. So, you know... Yeah, no, it's see... deeply worrying to see a company like Intel who who had earned their place at the top of the heap fall mm. so far. Because the very concept of Intel becoming a mere foundry is such a climb down for the company. It's something they have resisted doing for years because it was an admission of failure. And the M1 just paints a giant big arrow and says, see this? This is where Intel went wrong. And I felt, I guess the reason they made the ads was because they felt so stung by the M1 making a mockery of their, 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 their the best they can do in their architecture. And it's just it, it, all horribly wrong. It, it doesn't also doesn't help that their latest chip um, generation has been not exactly slated, but... Um, you know, initial reviews have basically said it's not any better than the previous generation. So, right. and they're not even competing particularly well with AMD. No, whose Ryzen thread ripper things are, you know, again knocking them for six. So, so I mean, the the new CEO has a lot of work to do, uh, and his <laughs> he's not he's not started it well, in my humble opinion. <laughs> there we go. I think we'd all agree with that. Okay, well then let us move on to our last story, um, which is, on the one hand, a small story because Apple basically managed to avoid something quite scary in Russia. But on the other hand, this sets a very interesting precedent. So let me explain the context and then we can try to dig a little bit deeper. So in 2019, Russia passed a law that said any smartphone sold in Russia had to come with Russian versions of apps pre-installed because they wanted to encourage Russians to use Russian social media instead of American social media, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Apple don't pre-install apps. That, that's just not something they do. So the question was, would Apple leave Russia or would Apple comply with the law and start pre-installing apps? And the answer is no. They did neither of those things. They have not left Russia and they have not started pre-installing apps. And yet they they appear to be at least being interpreted as they appear to have managed to negotiate a have your cake and eat it sort of approach where they appear to be being considered in compliance with the law because what they've implemented instead is that on first boot, you know, when you get asked those questions, do you want to enable Siri, do you want to enable location services, you know, that that whole collection of screens, if you're buying a new iPhone in Russia now, you get an extra screen that literally says, in compliance with Russian law, here are some Russian apps for you to consider downloading. And it's a list of apps with a get button next to it. So it's basically a chunk of the app store. But none of those apps are pre-installed. They're just offered. Do you think those apps comply with Apple's privacy policies? (laughs) I think most because they're coming from the App Store, right? Hmm. <laughs> I hope. that That is a very interesting question because the government haven't passed a law that says Apple must bend the rules for Russian apps. So at the, mo- at the moment, as things stand today, I think they must be in compliance to be, to be there because they're, they're all apps from the App Store. But that could be another interesting battleground where the, the Russian government could mandate that certain apps be approved, whether Apple like it or not. And that, that would be an existential question for Apple again. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, the App Store isn't pre-installing any apps, so we haven't crossed that Rubicon. But on the other hand, we now have a situation where governments can mandate an extra screen on the first run. It, 
how do we feel about that? I guess I'll put my cards at the table and say, to me, this seems like a reasonable compromise to deal with local laws because Apple have no choice but to obey the law, right? They can either leave the country or obey the law. And I don't think they can start leaving Russia, China, Brazil, France, every country they have an argument with. So they need to find some sort of middle ground. And as middle grounds go, this one seems reasonable to me. So I, my opinion is this is this is a good outcome for Apple, but I am entirely open to being argued with. I don't know. I don't think I don't, I don't think I'm going to argue with you. Um, I, I think that, um, as you say, they've got to find a way to work if they if they want to stay in Russia. I mean, Apple are big enough to be able to say, <laughs> mm, "Forget are it." They? Won't, are won't they? Stay well, it's quite the bluff. I don't right? know. I don't, I really don't know what percentage of their sales are Russian, so I can't really say. But at the same time. It's really hard, isn't it? Because we're all stuck in this situation to a certain extent. Um, we buy goods that are made in China. We might not agree with China, but we still buy the goods. Although, thanks to the pandemic, the, the supply chains are very much shifting around, diversifying and changing. They are. They are, and, that, and that's a good thing. But at the same time, we're still stuck between... A, you know, do, do we Do we be... Do we be um, absolutely moral and say, no, we're not having anything to do with that, and therefore we don't have a smartphone at all, or any gadget, in fact, it seems mm. to me. Yeah, right. Um, and that's a really hard thing to do, isn't it? That's a really hard thing to turn your back on what the rest of the world is up to effectively. Yeah. Um, and it's the, same for, it's the same decision in many ways for Apple. So I, I think they've... what they've done is, uh, is a reasonable compromise. Yeah, I mean, I mean, blocking VPN apps in certain countries. I mean, it's not like different countries haven't warranted warned different responses to various policies. I guess that's true. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess Apple would say they're consistent in the sense that if any, if the local government bans an app, they will obey that ban in every country. So in China, that means banning a lot of VPNs, and in other countries, mm -hmm. it means different things. Red Joan was on the TV yesterday. I haven't seen that before. What? Good movie. No, no, really, I, I missed it the first time around. Um, good movie, um, though. I think that, um, actually, from Apple's perspective, actually, and, and from my perspective, I agree with you, um, Bart, but also the fact that they're in the country and they want to stay in the country is not a bad thing. Um. If what they are doing in that country starts spreading into what we deem to be uh, not good into the countries that we live, then that's a bad thing. Um, but it's better to be on the inside um, trying to change things from the inside rather than being on the outside and having no say at all, he says. And you could argue that this has resulted in the law being softened because the actual laws, mm. you know, the, the the initial intention was to force preloading, and yet Apple haven't forced preloading. They've they forced yep. pre-offering, which is not quite the same thing. Yeah. And if you put your other hat on, you could imagine a situation where the EU decide that actually, you know, Apple is using its its dominance in the smartphone market, which it doesn't really have in Europe. But leaving that aside for a moment, let's pretend they're dominant in Europe where they're not. Apple are using their position as a smartphone seller to, in, you know, to unfairly compete with Google. Therefore, on first boot, your iPhone should ask which mail app you would like. Do you want Apple Mail or do you want Gmail? 
conceivable, just like they had a, they forced Microsoft to have a browser choosing dialogue on Windows. I, I think that's exactly it. I mean, initially, as you say, the, the, the Russians said that they were going to mandate preloaded apps. And Apple said, if you do that, we'll pull out of Russia. Um, so I'm assuming Apple must have an, enough clout to negotiate this compromise, which seems to be a fairly reasonable compromise because at the moment they're going to offer you, you know, would you like Kremlin mail and Kremlin browser and communist party, uh, you know, social media and all the rest. And um, you don't have to take them. And even if you say, oh, oh yeah, okay, I, I will give that one a go. If you don't like it afterwards, you can remove it. They're not, they're not locked and they're not, forced yeah. on if you don't wish to take them and you know perhaps quite a lot of russian people will decide that they like moscow mail and you know the uh you know big bear browser and, and so on um i think apple have probably managed to strike the best compromise possible they've they've not allowed themselves to be dictated to and yet at the same time they have not flouted the Russian law and been forced to pull out of Russia. I, I, I don't think there's much of a better compromise that they could have managed, really. The, the other things about, yeah, you know, if Russia starts saying we need you to bend the App Store rules in Russia for privacy or whatever, that's a different, that's a whole different ballgame. And Apple would have to reassess the situation, I guess. But Right now, I would not point the finger at Apple and go, you've kowtowed to the Russian Communist Party in, in, in any way, shape or form. I think they've held their ground yeah. and struck a good just, deal. Just, just to say, um, I, don't think the, I don't think Putin is communist. Just, just to... No. Well, yeah, but you know, <laughs> that's what they style themselves. Whether they actually are Putin or not is a whole... Is. I don't think Putin <laughs> Well, that, yeah. No, maybe not. But nominally, they are a communist-led country, but... There you go. I think you may be confused. What will be quite interesting? Anyway, that's not there. Well, what will be quite interesting to see will be will will this generate more legal ramifications in the West? Mm-hmm. So if yes. if Russia has has persuaded Apple that they should offer other things, are are people going to say, "Well, look, you've done it for Russia"? I think we're going to do that for us. Which goes back to what I said at the start. That's where we then start getting a little bit uh, concerned about those sort of processes I, if that starts happening. I mm. think Apple have already started to counter that because partly, I suspect, because of the antitrust things. But they've already said you don't have to have Safari as your default browser. You don't have to have Apple Mail as your default mail client. But it does no, pre-install them, doesn't it? It does. Yes, it yeah. does. But, you know, they've at least removed the claim that they are monopolizing. I know the power of default is huge. Yeah. It, it would be somewhat slightly annoying, but if, you know, if two iPhones down the line, when I first turn it on, it says, would you like Chrome or Edge or Brave or DuckDuckGo as your default browser? And, and then would you like Apple Mail or Google Mail or some you know post box or something else as your default mail client and so on would that be the end of the world it would be slightly annoying for most people but it it wouldn't be it wouldn't be utterly destructive of the um experience i know well yes uh to a certain extent yes uh, simon but the 
<laughs> the kind of people I deal with in the in my church, uh, basically, if they were given a choice, they'd say, "What am I supposed to do here? What am I supposed yeah. to say?" Because they don't I, know. I have to think if I was a lawyer for Spotify, say, I would have been paying very close attention to this because my argument yeah. would be that Apple is abusing their position of dominance in the smartphone market to put their music service ahead of mine and give their music service an unfair competitive advantage. Therefore, clearly, I should be put on an equal footing. Therefore, on first run, every European user should be offered Spotify instead of Apple Music Plus. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, you know, it definitely could be seen as the thin end of a wedge. I don't, I don't doubt that. Um, yeah, it's not the worst wedge, though. I guess that's where no, I come down to this. Yeah, if I was going yeah, to we be a wedge, this is the worst of them. Yeah. One nice no, thing, even though Apple's GDP is only one sixth what Russia's GDP is, Apple's is growing faster and Russia's is contracting. So I think <laughs> Apple will get their way in the end. <laughs> that's a, that's a well, very interesting know. point because when you, yeah, Apple actually does compare to many countries. It probably has a bigger GDP than Ireland. Um, anyway. <laughs> well, if, that, if I was going to say if that trend continues, Charles, eventually Apple could just buy Russia. You know exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Can you have a corporate takeover? Hostile takeover of countries usually involves something different to a check. But anyway, (laughs) let let us uh, wrap up with some quick stories before we call it a day. Um, Apple have released a new Apple for Kids page to help parents get their um, assert some control over their kids' digital lives, which is good timing, I would suggest, for such a page. Uh, similarly good timing, Apple have launched something called Apple Teacher Portfolio, uh, which basically is some tools to for, for teachers to, to learn how to use Apple technology in their classrooms. So it's sort of a self-learning uh, platform where you can expand your abilities to to make your curriculum more fun for your students. Um, the next version of iOS will have two shiny new Siri language, or English language Siri voices and there shall be no default. So it's been quite controversial that uh, Apple and many others have been defaulting their assistance to female voices as if... Well, in real world assistants are all female, so why wouldn't a digital assistant be? It's like, well, I, hang on a second there. Uh, <laughs> so now everyone will be offered the choice of Siri voice when they enable Siri, if they choose to enable Siri. So that I think like we've that. heard one of them, haven't we, uh, Simon? Oh yes, we had we had a special Donald Duck one. Um, yeah, something went wrong with my Siri, and the, the British male voice started coming out like Donald Duck. Which, uh, if you listen to the essential Apple show I posted today, you can hear a recording of it, which is quite amusing. But, um, yeah, it could be sorry, fun for a slide. short amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. fun for about twice, then it became yeah. very annoying. Um, next month, 22nd of April, is Earth Day, but Apple are clearly already starting their build up towards it with a whole bunch of press releases and things related to the environment. So, they're going to build, Apple said that their green bonded project, so basically they announced that they were going to fund green energy with this green bond thing. And they have now reported that in 2020, their investments have resulted in 1.2 gigawatts, as uh, Doc Brown would say, of clean energy, which is, that's a lot of gigawatts, as scientists would say. It is. Um, so that's kind of, you know, progress. Uh, they have also committed to building a grid-scale energy storage facility in California, uh, or to put that another way, a battery farm capable of storing 240 megawatts, or a quarter of a gigawatt. 
um, which is again a lot of power. There, that's big, big batteries. A uh, hundred and ten Apple suppliers are joining Apple in getting a hundred percent of their energy from renewables. So, you know, one argument when Apple said, "Yeah, we're going one hundred percent renewables," everyone going, "Yeah, but you don't build anything yourself. You have this massive supply chain." And Apple said, "No, no, no. We're working with our supply chain. Give us a chance." And I know a lot of people scoffed, but a hundred and ten suppliers—that's progress. So good. Uh, and then they are they are making a documentary that will premiere uh, on Earth Day by a certain David Attenborough called The Year Earth Changed, which is a documentary about how what happened this you know in 2020 is a guide for how we could actually perhaps save our planet uh, going forward. So it's that is certainly interesting. That sounds good. Yeah. So I I imagine. If this is what they're doing in March, I imagine that when we record the April show next month, there will be lots of Earth Day related stories. So perhaps put a pin in these. Uh, Apple have also got some new digs uh, here in Ireland, in the beautiful city of Cork. Apple have signed the deal for some new offices. I know people like to imagine that our, Apple's Irish division is purely a bank account. It is not. There are a lot of human beings who work for Apple here in Ireland, and there are more of them going to be working for Apple here in Ireland in shiny new offices in the city of Cork. Meanwhile, there will be also people working for Apple in the German city of Munich, where they have launched a new facility that is going to focus on 5G and future, so 6G technologies. And then finally, stick a pin in it, keep the date, whatever whatever the appropriate phrase is. We now know that there will be a Worldwide Developers Conference for 2021. It will be an entirely online affair and it will be running from June 7th to June 11th. There is a shiny new WWDC 2021 Apple developer app. And in somewhat related news, Windows 10 developers can now bring WinUI 3 apps to the iPhone or the Mac. Yeah, that's basically Microsoft are trying to get their APIs to be platform agnostic so that you write the app once and run it anywhere. Now, obviously, this is because their app store isn't getting nearly as much traction as Apple's. But hey, look, it's a good thing. So you can write apps once and have them run on Windows, iPhone and Mac. Cool. Actually, Charles, since we have a developer here, does that Windows news in any vague way excite you at all? Or uh, I don't know. <laughs> oh, it certainly doesn't excite you then i, I think that's fair yeah, yeah do you have any I, mean, thoughts on it? I mean i i did sort of spring that on you sorry yeah i i would say anyone who's used like a citric a windows app in a citrix or you know any other metaframe type of environment uh, the experience isn't that great you know so i i for me and you it's almost synonymous with using an iphone app on an ipad when you could just 2x it you know it's just bigger and uglier <laughs> so i think yeah yeah um and, and whether it's purpose built for two different screen sizes platforms etc you know like mm-hmm. I, I, like I have a lot of yeah <laughs> so um yeah I, I i guess it it could be if if you were really purposeful about it but otherwise you know so you yeah, remain to be I, convinced yeah I, I look forward to being convinced though but yeah actually you're right that is that is exactly the attitude yes i agree well on that upbeat yeah. note um 
Folks, thank you ever so much for giving so freely of your time on this Bank Holiday Monday, uh, well, evening for most of us, afternoon for you, Charles, but regardless, thank you. Um, in no particular, well, I try to go in reverse order, so I'm hoping I got this right. Um, Gaz, would you like to let the good listeners know where they can hear more of your wonderful musings, etc.? Yes, over on the MyMac podcast uh, under the MyMac network, which I believe you're still under uh, Bart at the moment. We call I was going to say, unless uh, something terrible has happened, then I've somehow managed to make Tim <laughs> cranky. I am still a member of the MyMac podcasting network. Yes. Uh, yes, you, you can hear both uh, myself and Guy Sell, the G-men, um, try and try and be funny each week because uh, anything we have to say, really, you've got to take it with a pinch of salt. As one of our bulletins say, <laughs> Um, every show is better than the next one. So it, it gets worse <laughs> and worse as we go along. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, it's been a while since I've been on, but I have always 100% of the time had such a blast when I've been on your show. So don't, don't, we, don't we, downplay yourself. We, 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 do, we do enjoy ourselves, that's got to say. You definitely do. Definitely do. Irreverent, I believe, is the phrase you like to use. Irreverent, yes. <laughs> uh, we're you. being very incestuous, actually, this week. Um also on the My Mac Podcasting Network, um, Nick and Simon, do you want to, you guys want to plug your show? Uh, yeah, sure. Well, uh, Nick and I appear fairly regularly. Obviously, uh, I'm the host, and Nick comes on a lot of the time uh, on the Essential Apple Podcast, which you can find at essentialapple.com or, of course, in your podcatcher of choice. And we are part of the My Mac Network as well. Um, and if you want to follow me, you can find me on the Twitters as at Serenak, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. Yeah, so Nick, do you want to add anything in there? Uh, yeah, we're good at rumbling. We rumble a lot. Oh, you mean you enjoy the English <laughs> countryside? That's great. Uh, uh, well, I do, actually. But no, no, I meant that uh, Simon and I and Jim seem to be able to ramble on about almost anything. Uh, but we do enjoy it. We enjoy that, too. There we go. Uh, and you can find me occasionally on Twitter. I'm uh, Spligosh, S-P-L-I-G-O-S-H. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. And uh, Charles, do you want to let the good listeners know what you get up to in the world of podcasting, etc.? Oh, sure. Um, so the Mac Admins podcast, that's uh, Mac Ad- podcast.macadmins.org, I guess, is the main podcast. I have another one called the History of Computing podcast, where I get nerdy about really old things. Um, as we get older, we tend to do that. So some of the times for me personally, and I, the third one, uh, the champ after dark podcast, which is specific to, to champ customers. And then I guess if anyone's looking for me specifically or for any of my books, that would be usually found at cryptid.com. And that's K-R-Y-P-T. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So, no, look, folks, thank you all very much for uh, for joining this afternoon. Um, there will be detailed show notes online at lets-talk.ie. Uh, basically, all of the links to all of the stories that have informed my thinking on the March 2021 Apple News. Uh, while you're there, there's a section in the sidebar called Support the Show. I want to give a very big thank you to everyone who does so. This show is 100% listener supported. It exists purely because you guys make it so. Um, I'm in a position in life where I basically I podcast for fun, but I can't afford it to be, I can't afford to pay for it, but I can do it for fun. So I needed to break even and it pretty much does. And that is 100% down to you guys. And I greatly appreciate you all for it. 
Um, you can become a long-term uh, supporter of the show through Patreon. The idea is you pledge a small dollar amount per episode. There are exactly two per month, one photography, one Apple. So if you think I'm worth $2 a month, pledge $1 and it multiplies to two. If you think I'm worth a tenner, pledge five. Yeah, you get the idea. There's also a PayPal button for the those sort of one-off donations. Uh, my basic thinking is I have monthly bills. I have monthly Patreon. What I want to happen is the Patreon to pay the bills. Uh, there are also then these, you know, non-recurring costs like software and hardware and stuff. And that's what the PayPal donations are great for. So I'm talking into a shiny microphone hanging off a nice boom arm. And all of that is thanks to people supporting the show through those various buttons. So, uh, you know, thank you very much to everyone who does. And of course, you can support the show simply by spreading the word. Tweet about it, Facebook about it, tell your friends about it. Well, I was going to say in the real world, on Zoom or whatever. Um, as close as we get to the real world these days, it is all it all really helps the show. It is all very much appreciated. So again, thank you to everyone who supports the show. It literally would not exist without you. Okay, with all that rambling on, I've been your host Bart Bouchot. So you can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy computing. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello, everybody. This is Simon Parnell, the host of the Essential Apple Podcast, a show where we aim to take a wander around the week's news in Apple, news, reviews, technology, security, and anything else that catches our eye. Plus, from time to time, we like to have guests from the industry who we get to tell us about their products, their services, their history, their philosophies, what uh, drives them, and of course, just what makes them tick. That, plus a bunch of friends talking about the news in Apple. What more could you possibly want? Check us out on the My Mac Podcasting Network 